0: Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Hello everybody, I'm Ruth Hannan. I'm the Transform Programme Manager at the RSA and it's my great pleasure to welcome today's guest, Andy Burnham. Andy is the Mayor of Greater Manchester, leading Greater Manchester's combined authority for the last three years. Um, He's also a former Cabinet Minister, serving as Health Secretary Culture Secretary and Chief Secretary to the Treasury. Um, I think you might have had more jobs than me, Andy, which is saying something. Um, Never done Andy- a real job. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's um knowledge about UK politics is extensive. And since moving to Greater Manchester to become the uh, combined authority mayor, um has brought that wealth of knowledge with him to his role. Um, and we're lucky to have him here today to um Talk a little bit about health, social care, devolution. We may even mention football. We are in Manchester after all. Um, Andy, thank you for joining us. Um, You're it's welcome. A really great opportunity to have you here. Uh, first of all, um, I would be remiss without asking how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, not not bad. It's uh, it's been a long haul, hasn't it? Uh, lockdown. I think everybody's feeling that, myself included. But uh, yeah, not 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 too bad thanks uh, the family have seen more of me in the last two months than they have in the last 20 years, and I'm not sure whether that's a good
0: or a bad thing, but you have to talk to them about that. Yes, I think we'll, a lot of us are feeling that way. Um, so I think the, the first thing, I, it would be a really great opportunity to find out, um, seeing that we are both in, in Manchester, about um, how you um, felt about Marcus Rashford's achievement last week. Um, I know that the entire... Um, Manchester area of both red and blue um had strong feelings about it and I just just thought it would be um, a good opportunity to ask your feeling and this will be the last time I'll mention football
1: well I'm glad you have because it, <laughs> it was wonderful wasn't it uh, to see that the way he uh came over in that in that public domain you know with his personal experience but talking with passion it was just undeniable wasn't it and I just think it was a fantastic example of a, a footballer using that using their profile so i felt i felt immensely proud of him actually if, is the honest answer I, I met marcus with his mum and his family earlier this year it uh, seems an age ago now but you know we, we sat in my office in manchester and he was talking about things he wanted to do to to support people and i could tell then that uh, he kind of had the bit between his teeth and he, if you're honest you don't necessarily expect it from a 22 year old footballer you know with other priorities but yeah absolutely wonderful and i think uh, a mural has gone up to him uh, yeah. in the last couple of days which uh, i think tells you what the people feel about what he's done so yeah. just to see someone like him speaking for kids who are often forgotten by politicians just was was fantastic
0: yeah that's great thank you and and i think that sort of following on from that i was interested to see um the quite swift response from greater manchester on the black lives matter movement um and you've outlined a plan for a race equality panel um and i was thinking about that in relation to what has come out of um the pandemic with um the contribution of health inequalities to to people's um chances of surviving um and and just wondering what you hope what you hope will come out of that panel Mm.
1: Mm. no i I think this is a moment isn't it to to look at the um inequalities in our country through new eyes and to resolve to uh to to take much more meaningful action you know i I look back actually to february when professor sir michael marmot published his 10 year on review from uh, the, the report on health inequalities, which he presented to me as as health secretary, uh, and he was quite clear then that we'd gone backwards in so many ways, and it was black, Asian, uh, and other communities that w- were most affected by um, the the cuts that we've seen over over the last uh, the last ten years, and that was before the virus. So then you kind of take that worsening picture on health inequalities mm-hmm. and add a pandemic into it, and it, it's 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 awful, isn't it? You know, it, it's clear that um, it's disproportionately impacted on the poorest communities which often happen to be where uh, more people from uh, minority communities live. So the Bangladeshi community in particular uh, hit very hard by mm-hmm. COVID-19. So, you know, I, I, why, have, why have we in this country had such a high death rate? I think it is linked to the, the level of inequality that we, we have got and the lack of resilience that some people and communities have as a result of, of that. And I hope that there'll be a, a a kind of national resolution to do something about that but I'm, I'm not sure there will be but it's my hope anyway
0: mm. yeah you said you've about a national resolution i'm just wondering about what what you feel can be achieved at at the gm level with it being you know that that sort of uniqueness of, of a devolved government
1: yeah, there are some things we can do um it's not always about just pointing the finger at government. we need to start with ourselves so you know A couple of things I would say in in answer to that. I think the nature of people's work and their housing is is fundamental to whether or not they can have health. Um, You know, if you look at what's been happening throughout this, people on low paid, zero hours casual contracts have been less able to stop work or to self isolate. It's just a fact, and they've, I think, been going into work even if they were symptomatic just because the the support isn't there for them or then if you look at um, the quality of housing or the poor quality of lots of housing you've got people living in overcrowded um, accommodation that isn't um, in a a state of decency when it comes to the upkeep of the property so i think work on uh, improving housing and um and people's employment is, is critical so we've got something called the greater manchester good employment charter Uh, which is uh, an initiative to improve the quality of work if you like from the bottom-up rather than the top-down route of legislation Mm -hmm. and it covers the things you'd expect like a real living wage and zero hours contracts but also about more flexible working for people gender pay gap a whole range of issues actually and we're going to be looking at linking that to public procurement so that we kind of send out a really clear message Mm -hmm. that you know it's, it's not a choice whether or not to be a good employer everyone there are basics that everyone should be should be doing um, and you know that is one way in which we can change things on housing I would like to be in a position where we could build more social housing at scale uh, and that's certainly something that I'm asking my team to, to look at how we might uh, use this as a moment to solve the housing crisis uh, and possibly build homes for social rent that are also zero carbon. You know, there's a big opportunity, I think, in housing coming out of this.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And it's, it's interesting you mention about the commitment to work and uh, zero-hour contracts, because that kind of leads us on to um, thinking about health and social care, which has been really in the spotlight for um, the past few months as a result of the pandemic. Um, and, and social care in particular, where, you know, you do have that extensive zero hour contracts being being used Um, and I'm just wondering what what you think will enable that whole you know we've had a lot of really positive talk about the NHS I'm just wondering what you think the whole system health and social care needs to to come out of this and be able to thrive as we as you know move through a recovery phase and then whatever might come after that
1: it needs a new settlement doesn't it well that's what i would argue um and particularly social care um I, I think when we kind of look at what's happened over the last few months the position of social care has has been sort of exposed if you like more clearly to the country than, than any other time i can remember i've always argued for reform of social care the problem i've often faced is it's difficult, difficult to get a groundswell of people behind it because only a small minority of the population are in touch with social care services at any given time and it's only when it's too late that you realize just how bad things are you know if elderly parents are going through the system yeah. or, or some other experience but I think finally everyone has seen the problem how, you know, it's been quite, quite brutally exposed the, the lack of equality between hospitals and care homes yeah. you know the kind of different way in which they've experienced this this, this moment so, I, I think it is a new settlement. Um, you mentioned zero hours contracts. Unison did a survey of uh, care assistants in the Northwest at the start of uh, the crisis. And amongst other things, it found that 80% of people in that role felt that they wouldn't uh, be paid if they needed to self isolate. Mm. Now, I, you, you could quote a load of statistics about what's going on with social care but if you just take that one that, that um four out of every five social care workers in the northwest are not in a, a a position where they can promote their own health and the people they look after because of the the shocking nature of their of their their, their employment conditions
0: mm.
1: that tells you doesn't it that this is a broken system because obviously some people will have gone into work symptomatic and we've seen challenges within within social care when when i talk about a new settlement let me be really clear about it i favor um social care in england being provided on nhs terms that means everyone contributes then everyone is covered and it's provided free at the point of use on Mm. the base of need not ability to pay you know I, i can't see how anyone can justify continuing to kind of defend a means-tested approach to to social care, because in Mm. the end, it means that English social care is is as unfair as US healthcare,
0: Mm. where
1: those with the greatest needs end up paying the most. And in the case of social care, often hundreds of thousands of pounds for care of pretty poor quality, it has to be said. So that's what I would want to see, uh, Ruth. Whether we will see it, I don't know, but um, I I certainly feel there's a... a, um, groundswell of of calls for for reform of social care perhaps louder than we've ever we've ever seen before so i live in hope
0: yeah i mean there is there does seem to be that sort of growing awareness finally of what social care is um and the value of it as well as as you say the the staff that that work within it Um, and i'm just wondering um with again that, that that opportunity that Greater Manchester with having a devolved health and social care model, what opportunities are there? Um, aside from where the funding comes from, because, you know, I'm, I won't deny that that is a huge issue, but how the system operates, you know, some, some places are starting to do quite radical ways of working, things like self-managing teams and community Care cooperatives, and I'm just wondering what opportunities might be there for GM to, aside from how we get the funding, but actually think about how we do it differently.
1: Yes, yeah, a good question because I think the system needs to to reform before you put any new funding in. To be honest, because if you were just to take the current system and pour a lot of money into it, it would end up in the wrong places. Uh, it would end up in uh, the bank accounts of companies who often don't have. The public interest at the heart of what they do. Let's put it that way. So, I think there's an opportunity to deepen integration of health and social care. I I keep saying in Greater Manchester, I effectively want one system. And and we've had that to a degree actually during this crisis. Hospitals were helping care homes with PPE uh, at some of the most difficult uh, moments. And um, you know, we've um, absolutely seen a move towards uh, a a more system systematic approach to social care i.e seeing it as a system as opposed to a collection of yeah. individual entities so we set up a, an alert system for our care homes uh, through this based on the hospital model you know the the what's called the um, opal model the black alert model and that's been a an innovation that we've um, you know we, we, we've um really valued actually throughout this because you know, we've had that greater degree of early warning yeah and the, the, the other one to point to is we've also finally Uh, brought about an integrated care record for our 2.8 million residents so there is now an integrated health and care digital record which is a a big step forward. So building on all of this what's the opportunity for Greater Manchester now we're going to put ourselves forward to the government as a pilot um, for a one system approach to health and social care Um, you know single commissioning um, and then much more integrated provision. I personally believe um, and this is the view of our ten councils as well, that we need almost a, a foundational wage for social care. You know, the, the first building block really is to <clears throat> have a workforce that is kind of equally supported across across the, the entire spectrum, um, and that would be at the that would be at the heart of our mm-hmm. plans. You know, effectively NHS uh, terms and conditions for all health and care staff, uh, because without that we don't think integration will happen until you sort of create that, that level playing field across, yeah. across the system. So we're gonna be putting ourselves forward to the government for a pilot. And um, what we'll be saying is, as you, know, you continue to debate the funding and how you raise the funding, use, uh, use us as a template for how a reform system can begin to emerge. Yeah. And then hopefully at some point soon the, the funding comes into that integrated system and you know, effectively you're building what what I've always described as a national health and care service. Yeah. i think that's i
0: think that's what the country needs going forward yeah i think i think that that very much resonates with a lot of conversations we've been having across across the country about how we need to join together and uh, work more closely and um and you know we've we've seen some of those issues during the crisis be highlighted quite starkly sadly yeah. um i'm just wondering um with uh the the, the 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 that model um the one of the things that we've seen really strongly in in this is the strength of communities and how communities have responded um and you know how they've responded really rapidly um to help their neighbors and i'm just wondering if if you move to that kind of centralized commissioning model for gm and i'm i may be i may be wishing you further down the road of your plan than you've got to, how you would involve communities and enable them to have that Mm. real close-at-home involvement?
1: Mm. That's a really good good question. And actually, I was talking to the um, chief executive of Oldham Council about that that topic, because you wouldn't want it to be a very status, top-down sort of thing. You do need to build from the bottom up. And she was saying that, The community hubs that councils have set up to support people through this and that is with very much sort of everyday simple support Mm -hmm. working with volunteers and charities she was saying that she thinks they may keep them going forward as a permanent kind of uh, piece of public service infrastructure because it's been able to it's helped them improve how they support more people not necessarily with the bureaucracy that comes with, you know, a needs assessment for social care, just, you know, simple support. And I think there's something in that, you know, and, and I am and I, um, keen to see if we can um, uh, keep that infrastructure across um, across GM. And the, the interesting bit, I think, is as part of the new settlement I was describing, whether or not it could also extend to the NHS and councils having a new relationship with the voluntary sector. Yeah. Um, I've long believed that we we don't treat them well in terms of asking them constantly to put in bids for funding, project funding rather than core costs. I think if we we were to do what you're saying and um, sort of start with communities and build up from the amazing goodwill that we see, it's it's got to start with a new deal for the voluntary sector. Mm. And I would say that is long-term core funding so that they can kind of really sort of kind of stop living hand to mouth really focus on a community know that they're going to be there for the long haul and i think that would be a much better way to fund them And actually you'd get so much more back from them so my model very much is about that to be honest with you and I, and I think it has to be person-centered support rather than patient-centric if you know what i mean you know it's got to start uh in people's homes in their everyday mm-hmm. lives that simple support you know combating loneliness and isolation and all, all all that stuff comes first in my view and it's the bit that the nhs for all of its great strengths has never been uh, has never been uh never been that good
0: at. yeah yeah and it's interesting that uh, what you were talking about there that idea of instead of that cycle of commissioning looking to something more long term that that resonates with um i don't know if you've come across um Toby Lowe's human learning systems which is a is about instead of sort of the idea of commissioning for results but actually embed the person at the centre and and enable people to learn and develop yeah. um as somebody who used to work regularly on those 12 month local contracts <laughs> they're not they're not they were no, they're never the easiest to, no, uh, I, to implement no
1: no and, and the amount of effort that goes into them and you know it's just there's an industry in that sort of bureaucracy, isn't there? Yeah. And it, all, all of it implies a lack of trust. Yeah. And I think that comes down from the Treasury. It's like, it's as if councils, sorry, the Treasury doesn't trust councils. And then the council, and because of that, they then forced them to not trust their communities. Yeah. And
0: yeah.
1: so everyone creates this bureaucracy
0: Yeah.
1: that ticks boxes and sort of is meant to sort of protect public spending, when actually it wastes a lot of, a lot of public money yeah and i think the thing about devolution is so that's that's one thing i would definitely say but the other thing about devolution is in greater manchester i think it really is chipping down these silos between the different um the the different uh departments so when i came into this role as mayor three years ago i thought you know my my role would be to integrate health and social care in this area what it's been actually is integrating health with all of the other um (laughs) You know know what I mean? So you take a a one system view of everything. Yeah. Because then I think you get towards whole person support uh, when you stop this sort of thing where, you know, people just deal with the narrow issue that their department is is concerned with. I think if you start to sort of think of a one system approach, it allows you to sort of, uh, you know, consider the whole person and and start to spend public money very, very differently uh, than the way we normally do.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to those health inequalities that we talked about earlier. That's often a challenge for health and social care is that the interventions that they can offer won't necessarily address that person's needs if, if they're in poor housing or they live somewhere and they've got poor air, air quality. It is about how does, how does this ecosystem work together um, yeah. rather than yeah. the NHS saving us all.
1: Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And you said something really important before, Ruth, about you know, that keeping that sort of community spirit going. I'll just give you an example from Wigan, which um, is, is one that I you know really kind of uh, sticks with me. They've introduced uh, something called well-being teams in social care. So you know, they've, they've restructured how they do things. And the people who do the domiciliary care visits have been in, increasingly asked not just to fly in and fly out and then that's it, but to use the time that they spend knocking on the doors of the neighbours and saying, you know, Mr X likes to go to church on Sunday or he likes to go down the pub. Or, and they use the time that the social care staff spend building, if you like, social capital around some of the people uh, within, their, within their communities. And that is just a simple but profoundly better way, I think, of thinking about um, how public services work rather than yeah. doing the statutory assessments yeah. and, and everything else.
0: You, you, just as we're running out of time, you are, you've, you've just hit on basically what I, what I've been working on over the past few years, which is this change to um, social care being and staff being able to be more autonomous to work on well-being as opposed to a time and task model. And I think that's a really interesting one, is especially in social care. Why why do we focus on those basic things in life? Rather than we find out what that person needs to live well, which is yeah. connection with their community, connection with, and, and and I think you know the crisis has you know the community hubs. You know, somebody who's been involved in one in my area, um, and it you know residents who are happy to do those small tasks yeah, that that make a difference in people's lives is a is a real shift in practice. It
1: it it, it is, isn't it? And I, you know, I um. Uh, I've thought a lot about this o- over the years, and I'm particularly interested around dementia and you know dementia care. So the system would say that the way you care for somebody with dementia is obviously in a you know, very quiet, uh, let's say, nursing home, a nice safe you know seat in the corner, you know, everything sort of health and safety in the right. Is that care? Mm. And I would say not necessarily. If you want to care for somebody with dementia, the best thing you can do for them is to reconnect them with the things that they were passionate about earlier in their life. Um, because those are the memories that are deep, deep inside and they never, they never go. And that, I think, is, if you go with that, it's a, you then have to fundamentally rethink yeah. how you care for somebody uh, yeah. with dementia. I, I always tell the example, I, there's a sensory farm near me um, here in Wigan and uh, they set it up as a you know, dementia Farm they called it, and they created a fishing lake because they knew there was a bit of demand um, from the older uh, gentlemen around that they wanted to carry on going fishing. And I remember being at this lake where a minibus turned up with some care home residents, and one of the care assistants wand- wandered over to me, and you know, I was just watching this unfold, this this thing, and I was just seeing these blokes getting the, the reel and the line, and and she just wandered over to me and said, Do you know what? Most of these fellas just sit motionless in the chair when they're in when, in the care home." And they can't do much, or they don't know much. Yeah. But they knew every little bit of you know, because those memories that they, they things that they love doing have never gone, and they immediately were back in yeah. a place where they wanted to be. And I, that little example has always sort of uh, lived with me. And I think we've got to rethink. We need a much more person centred approach to yeah. to the way we um, support people. And the risk, of course, of social care on NHS terms is you might get more of a medical model taking over, and I wouldn't want to see that what i'd actually like to see is the reverse the nhs culture the social care culture kind of back (laughs) infiltrating the nhs as opposed to the nhs taking over uh, social care and you know for me i I, you know i I keep saying this we we won't have 21st century health and care in this country until it supports people with dementia as well as it treats cancer and we're miles from that at the moment yeah
0: yeah
1: but maybe just maybe this moment we've been living through means that social care might finally be fixed
0: yeah you and i think it's 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 an interesting point you make about is that care and i would kind of flip that as well and say is that life is that you know is that what is that the life we would want if somebody told us when we're 30 that that's what your life will be i'm sure most people would say i definitely don't want that I, that to be my life because
1: um, no, I'm, I'm you know i'm very conscious that you know, I'm 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 the mayor at the time that the hacienda generation is getting older than, <laughs> in Greater Manchester, and I'm pretty certain that they you will want something uh, different from um, yes uh, from later life. So, um, and,
0: and we yeah. will hold we'll hold you to that. We we you've already done DJ battles with the mayor of Liverpool. I, so.
1: I have, I have. <laughs> <laughs> that keeps us all feeling good. <laughs>
0: Um, I'm conscious that we don't have much time and I just um, we, you know we've talked a lot about um, some of the challenges but it would be um, really good to end on a bright note and just ask what has given you hope um, during this past sort of few weeks and months?
1: Well certainly the way in which communities have rallied around and the way that we've been talking about but I also I get the feeling that a lot of people have looked at the world with new eyes you know they they can can see some of the unfairnesses around them a bit more clearly than they could before it's not been lost on uh, i think a lot a lot of people that you know while there's been a group of people that have been at home having zoom conferences there's been a whole lot of other people out at work and not able to keep themselves safe in quite the same way and though we call them essential they're not paid as essential workers and, and I think that is really clear uh, to people um, as I said at the beginning you know why have we had uh, one of the highest death tolls in the world I think it is linked to inequalities in our country that go back a long way but have been mm-hmm. exacerbated in, in, in the last decade mm-hmm. you know there are too many people in jobs where they can't put their health first because the, the way they're paid and the the lack of support if they need to be off work too many people whose housing damages their health and um you know I, i'm really struck by i think the different public debate which seems to be emerging about about those uh, those things and um a growing sort of call to say well no that can't that cannot be right and cannot cannot continue beyond this so that that does give me a bit of hope that, that there's a there's a sort of a i don't know there's a there's a mood to change around around the country we'll,
0: we, yeah. we'll, we'll see yeah that's great and and that's very much what our work at the rsa has been about this idea of a bridge to the future how do we build on these positive things that have come about during this crisis and how yeah. do we keep them how do we keep them going so
1: um we've spoken a, of build back better and it's you know in some ways sounds a bit like a you know pie in the sky or a pipe dream but in another not you know there's going to be changes aren't there Yeah, Yeah. we can see physical changes to the roads with the numbers of people cycling and walking, which is great. I think more people are going to have a more flexible working life from here on in. You know, nothing wrong with Zoom conferences if (laughs) if if more people have the chance to do it. Um, So I I think that's going to be a change that stays with us. Um, But I could see if the government was willing to work with people like myself, the mayors, you know, we've got a group called the M9 of, of mayors, uh, sadly, all men. Maybe that will change too <laughs> one day. I'm, I'm pretty confident it will. Um, we're saying to them, "Look, work with us in a different way. You know, empower us to lead some of this change that we want to see." Personally, think we're going to see an acceleration of progress towards um, a, a zero carbon country. I think that mm. I think is going to be one of the things that comes from this because I know from my point of view. Um, you know where can we create jobs? It's not you know when you're looking at a situation where we might have yeah. lot large job losses, there are definitely jobs to be had in the green economy no no question about it, and I'll give you a really specific example, the retrofitting of um properties to make them zero carbon. You know, I'm told there could be thousands of jobs in that in greater Manchester, so I would say get on with it then you know, that, that would be my message to the Chancellor. Yeah. Let's do that now, you know, and really crack on with it so I, and also clean air you know we're going to bring in a clean air zone in Greater Manchester in 2022 and it will cover our 10 boroughs. Again, my message to the government is just accelerate it now, you know, make support available for people to, you know, taxi companies to change their cars, van drive, you know, crack on with it and let's keep this clean air that we've been we've been enjoying. So Build Back Better, I think, is, is going to be more than a slogan. I think, I think we are going to see positive changes come come from this.
0: That's great. And thank you for that. That's a perfect positive note to to end on. No problem. And that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. So thank you so much, Andy, for talking to us. Oh,
1: really nice chatting to you, Ruth. Thank you.
0: And and thanks to everybody who's tuned in today. And before we sign off, a quick reminder to everyone watching, stay tuned to the RSA channels in the coming weeks for all our latest online events and podcasts, as well as news from our policy research team and our 30,000 strong fellowship network which is around the globe and finally an extra special thank you to Andy for taking the time um, to talk to us so uh, thank you all for watching and take care everyone thanks for listening if you like this podcast head to our youtube channel for inspiring talks interviews and animations